Let's hit it. Hootie Hoot Productions presents the Sports Deli Podcast, where everyone deserves a seat at the table. Where we discuss the intersection between race and sports, mental health, leadership, and equality. To find out more about the Sports Deli Podcast, check us out online at thesportsdelipodcast.com. We are starting to have free giveaways. If you hear giveaway anywhere in the podcast, send us an email to thesportsdeli at gmail.com with giveaway in the subject heading and in the body of the email, give us the answer to that podcast's specific question. When you hear someone say, make America great again, the first question you have is, well, when was America great? What I would say about Tom. Brady, yeah. If you don't want to be in this fight, then don't put a make America great hat up in your locker. Silently now, it appears that you are with the other group. Just don't get in the way. (laughs) Stephen A. Smith is my alter ego. Go somewhere else with that (laughs) <laughs> John, she's roasting your ass. Colin Kaepernick, he's a hero in the same way that John Carlos and Tommy Smith were heroes. Legend. When George Floyd called out to his mother, he called out to all mothers, and I heard his call. So do you have white privilege? Absolutely. Now we have to be a voice as white people. African American women last year changed the course of this of this nation. Um, women are the backbone, and now we need to support the souls that they stand on. And now, whether you're folding laundry, driving, exercising, or cooking, grab your favorite deli sandwich or bagel and your favorite beverage, and let's do this together in the sports deli. Auntie, take us away. Uh, we're so honored on this fourth day of Emotional Intelligence and Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Ladies and gentlemen, here's a call to action. Please do your monthly self-breast examinations as prevention is the key. To welcome Emmy-nominated TV producer, international best-selling author, speaker, podcast host, soon to be, Netflix sleeper star and thought leader, Stephanie Arnold. In 2013, she was clinically dead for 37 seconds after suffering an amniotic fluid embolism, an AFE, immediately after giving birth to her second child. But she knew it was going to happen months before because she had premonitions about it, but no one believed her. She blew doctors away because of what she described in detail about what happened while she was dead. But the one person who also understandably skeptical was her anesthesiologist. But despite her skepticism, she made sure there was extra blood available during the delivery And it was a big reason why she was able to survive. Oh, and the anesthesiologist's name, ironically, was Grace. She was in a medically induced coma for six days afterwards. Two years later, she published her book, 37 Seconds, which she'll talk about today, which is about survival, premonitions, intuition, the past, the present, and the future. And she's part of a new Netflix series called Surviving Death. She currently serves on the board of directors for the AFE Foundation, and it was named one of today's Chicago Women's 100 Women of Inspiration. She has a club on Clubhouse called The Sixth Sense, and it was on Breakfast with Champions that I first heard her story. She's competed in bikini bodybuilding competitions. She shares a birthday with Satchel Paige, Ringo Starr, and Michelle Kwan, 
and was born the same year as Mark Wahlberg, Winona Ryder, Jada Pinkett Smith, and Chris Tucker. She's an amazing mom and wife. She's inspired millions around the globe and is on a mission to help others realize that connecting with our sixth sense can not only enhance our lives, but can very well save them. She now dedicates her time to speaking and advocacy work, spreading awareness about positive doctor communication, trauma recovery, and discovering meaning and purpose in our personal and professional lives. She's been featured on Dr. Oz, Good Morning America, Netflix, Today, NPR, Steve Harvey, and many others. And today we will talk about her incredible story of trauma to triumph. You can find her on our website at stephaniearnold.net and on Twitter and Instagram at stephaniearnold37, of course. Stephanie, it was really an honor uh, to meet you on Clubhouse and, and for you to take the time out today um, is really humbling. Uh, but welcome to the Sports Daily Podcast where everyone deserves a seat at the table. This is awesome. And what a great intro. I need to take you everywhere. <laughs> it's like beautifully written. I'm like, I know some of this. I'm like, wow. Okay. That's awesome. Ringo Starr. I'm, I'm, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. I, my two co-hosts who, who uh, sometimes can't make it because they're working, we always talk about whether or not we should do that in post-production, but the reactions uh, it's just, it's been great. So we just keep doing it, even though it's like, wow, that was a long intro or, you know, some of the stuff you can't find on your website. And the only, re the only way I knew it is by listening to you, you know, on clubhouse. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, no, that was fun. So it just, it just proves you were listening. Yeah, I was, <laughs> I was an active listener. Absolutely. Uh, so when we had Barbara on, speaking of Barbara uh, Majeski uh, from the Today Show, uh, she talked about, and she did it again today uh, on Clubhouse, uh, Clubhouse's Breakfast with Champions. So she talked about her Jewish heritage, and it was fascinating, and as I'm Jewish as well, and, and we both talked about how despite the challenges we may have faced uh, growing up, you know, our tight-knit families and the Jewish traditions help guide us. And so can you talk about your upbringing as a Latina Jewish woman, because I'm fascinated uh, by the various layers that you bring to the table, especially in this space. Yeah. You know, so I'm Juban, which is a Cuban Jew. Uh, are you allowed to say that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. you are a Jew. I've never heard that before. I feel like yeah. that if, if I said that or something, that's like not, not derogatory. It's really? Like a Jew? Yeah. How wow. we identify. Interesting. Yeah. So um, I think some people have called it like a, a Q Jew or something like that, but, but I like the, wow. the term Juban and people are like, what? They're, they're Jews. In <laughs> uh, Fascinating. Uh, so, yeah. So my father's from Cuba, my mother's from Illinois and, um, wow. and my grandfather, my mother's father was in the mob. So in the Jewish mob. And so wow. ties go real deep deep there but um he used to box for Meyer Lansky if you can believe it so wow crazy 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 like yeah there are Jews in sports right so <laughs> yes but boxing was a thing back in the day what? like yeah absolutely especially wow. for Jews yeah yeah so you know my my upbringing I I grew up in an orthodox temple setting. wow um so I still so for, for people that are listening and when you go to temple, if you're Orthodox, the women sit separately from the men. Right. Yeah. So everything is separate. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't it wasn't because we were so religious. It's just, you know, when my parents were poor, they had no place to go to temple and 
the Orthodox synagogue or what we call the shul, you know, was like, no, if you're Jewish, just come, you know, don't worry about it. So my father never forgot that. And so as he made money, he would donate money to that temple. And so we would end up going there. And so that rabbi ended up becoming like a second father to me. So just, it was all I ever knew. And then I went to parochial school. I went to Jewish day school um, through eighth grade and then went to a non-sectarian school for high school. Um, Mm -hmm. Went to high school in Israel, stayed in Israel for a few months. Um, And then when I had the opportunity, I was- Were you on a kibbutz? I wasn't on kibbutz. There was was a program called Alexander Musk High School in Israel. And so it was a two month, two and a half month program where high school students, junior year or senior year can take um, a semester. And go to Israel, you take your your prerequisites, and then you also learn about living in Israel, what life in Israel is like, and you know, the history. And so it was it was a quite profound experience and a very spiritual one. Um, but when I got back from Israel, I wanted to do something to connect with my tie to Israel, which was I became very religious and I was observant, and my family was not, and so. But at one point, um, I had the opportunity, and I had been working in TV as a journalist since, right. like, an associate producer, or whatever, since I was fourteen, working in TV news, local news. Then right. at college, I was working on the, the news campus, um, the TV news. Well, what was the one thing when you went to Israel that made you want to, to go down a path of, of uh, being more observant? Yeah, I, I think that it was a tie to our heritage, to our history. Mm. And so for me, it was more of... I wanted to feel connected to Eretz Israel, and the only way that I would feel that way is if I was doing something that a lot of people that I knew was were in Israel doing. And so it was a way for me to feel. Uh, I knew I was never going to live there, but it was a way for me to feel like I was connected to them when I got back. Wow. Um, and so, so with that, I was I became very religious. I was working for a production company that was doing Jewish educational documentaries. And I did a video about called windows to the soul with the Rebbe, uh, Rebbe Schneerson who lived in New York. And um, there were videos I was doing like Shabbat videos. And so I felt fulfilled there, but there was also this side of me that was very secular. And so I had the opportunity at 19 years old to direct a music video for Julio Iglesias. Mm. And, you know, at the time, I wouldn't have the cojones to do what I did back then. But when I, when I was 19, you're like, Oh, sure. I could do this. So I found a DP who had worked on a lot of big music videos. And I said, if I get this video, you'll work with me on it and you'll help me through this. This will be my, my master's degree in cinematography or whatever. And, um, and so Julio Iglesias, finally, this people were like, yes, he's never worked with a female director. Okay, great. I'm like, holy shit, I'm actually going to do this. And then um, the only time he wanted to do it was on Rosh Hashanah. And I was, you know, I was like, oh, well, this is not God testing me, right? Like this is not, I mean, here I am. I'm I'm Shamar Shabbat, which is like, I'm a religious Jew. I am, you know, eating only in kosher restaurants. I am, you know. Tell everybody so, what Rosh Hashanah is for people that don't Rush, know. Yeah, Rosh Hashanah is a Jewish New Year. It's one of the right. holiest days of the year. <laughs> and so it, if you talk to most Jews that talk about their twice a year Jews, they go to temple on Rosh Hashanah. This is when they start being inscribed in the book of life. Like they, right. this is the full circle of the year of all the, the, 
the the drama they've lived on their life they've lied they've stolen they they've done whatever they want they want <laughs> right. to they want redemption this is the period yes. the 10 days of re repentance yes. and i am making the decision to direct a music video for holy alessia so you know i decided you know when am i ever going to get this opportunity again i was really by myself in my religious um pursuit and so mm. I was like, all right, screw it. So I did the video and then I had worked with Celine Dion in Spanish. I'd like if the career kind of took off there, but there was always something pulling me spiritually, like guilting me, like, why are you doing this? Um, and so that's kind of how the career took off. How was it? A big yeah, decision. And <laughs> like, you said that, yeah, that's amazing. And you said that he had never worked with a, a female producer. No. So how was it for you being young and naive in that space? Uh, were you supported? Were there, were there, was there um, like chauvinistic kind of things going? I mean, the, yeah, the I can't Me imagine. Too movement hasn't caught up with the Hispanic no. music industry, nor has it, uh, has it uh, really penetrated the, um, the Hispanic entertainment and U S Hispanic market. I mean, better in the US side, but not much. And so it was bad. I mean, Julio at one point, you know, had said things, done things, and people would laugh it off. And I'd be like, you know, I, I'm going into overtime, let's go, you know? And so there was just stuff on set that I think nowadays people would just be like, you know, it, this should have been red flag for any young um, producer to be protect, protected. Um, but you know, I didn't, I didn't think about that. I was just like, let's keep it going. Let's just keep moving. Well, yeah. I mean, I hear those stories a lot on here, whether it's, uh, uh, regarding equality or social injustice yeah. you know, and a lot of those things obviously are still going on because we have misogynists, we have racists, we have, you know, people that, uh, don't believe in safe spaces for all. Yeah. And so, uh, man, probably. Yeah. You're even seeing it on an audio app. You're just like, yeah. what? I mean, how permeating is that? And then people feel like if their voice is, is heard, then they get canceled. It's just, right. I mean, when we live in a world where you can't speak up for fear of retaliation, it's like, okay, are we living in the handmaid's tale? You know, it's not. Yeah, that's a good call. And, and uh, people like uh, Dr. Malone are getting canceled on, on YouTube and media platforms for speaking the truth, you know, to your point. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, that's a whole nother level. I mean, and the thing is, it's like, so people should be able to have their opinions. I mean, I think about all the great television shows that were created and produced that would never be greenlit today. And you're just like, you know, you all in the family. Are you kidding? Ever, never, never, oh never, God. never. It's true. It's true. Sponsored by Moolah Kicks. Moolah is M-O-O-L-A-H, like money, Moolah. And kicks, like shoes, one word. You can find them online at moolahkicks.com and it's the first ever female only brand basketball shoe. So it's a shout out to the basketball street culture and it is also about fighting social injustice and gender inequality worldwide and here in the United States. And again, you can find them at moolahkicks.com. And now back to this incredible interview right here in the sports Sportstel. So um, where did you go to college? I went to University of Miami. 
Wow. I'm a hurricane. Yeah. Interesting. Did you get a graduate degree or did you just do your I undergrad? Did not. Oh, wow. I did not. My, my husband got his degrees from University of Chicago and he got his graduate and, and PhD from, from University of Chicago. And I went to his alma mater for um, his alumni weekend and I was on campus and I'm like, this is a totally different college experience than oh I had. God. So then he went with me to a reunion weekend and, and <laughs> <laughs> this girl's walking her little dog in a hot pink neon bikini with like spiked heels to the pool. And he's like, what is going on? He's like, I obviously <laughs> chose wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like the U. Wait, you must have been at the U when like football was a thing. It was. I graduated in 92. Yes. Three years. We were we were national champions. No question. Oh, my I was God. actually on set. If you know Steve Edwards from Good Day L.A. So yep. um, I walked on set because I was promoting the book and he's like 70. The you and I, I did it didn't click and he's like the ring theater and like all they say and so everybody on set is like you know oh here he goes with the University of Miami and so it was like one of those things that you know just when you when you are a UM alum it's like it sticks with you for life. Oh man, I can't imagine what I mean. I used to visit Miami, great. the Rascal House. I remember going to the Rascal yes. House with my uh, great grandmother. Yes, Pumpernick. But there was this one guy that worked in there. He was the busboy. And I'll never forget him. He would clear tables in a way that I've never seen someone clear tables and took so much pride in it. It was so inspiring that I swear to God, I've never forgotten it. Every time I went in there, I would just watch him and just be like, look at him clear. He had a system. Like, it was fascinating. See, and for your audience who don't know, I mean, Pumpernicks and Wolfies and, and Rascal House. It's like, oh. you, said the, you know, all the Altacockers, all the Jews that would go in there. It's like you put on the table, like for those of you who haven't experienced a real like New York deli or Miami beach deli, it's like all the pickles and the coleslaw right. and the bread on the table. Like I would take friends there who weren't Jewish and they were like, what is, well, this is your meal. And I'm like, no, this is what goes in the purses and the bags of the to go before they even before they even eat oh so that's funny. fascinating that yeah. is hilarious oh my goodness so wow what must have been a fascinating experience uh did you so you went to football games you did all the sporting things and i didn't go to all the sporting events but yeah. you know you can't help it but you know here i am living in chicago now almost 14 years and um was playing notre dame i'm one of my anesthesiologists <sighs> you know, is huge Notre Dame. So she's like, you know, she's Nicole Higgins. So she's like, all right, we're going to the game. I said, UM's going to take you out. And I haven't followed a UM game. In like <laughs> you know, years. nothing. And so I'm like right in the mindset of like <laughs> 1980s, early 90s, yes. you know, UM. And I'm like, oh, we're going to take you down. Like, so I get to the game and it was a complete blowout. And she's like about that. And I'm like, ignore me. But, you know, we were good at one point. <laughs> yeah, at one point, exactly. Oh man, that's, that's amazing. Um, so you, you lead this, this sort of first life if you, if you break your life into chapters. And so uh, I sort of look at your life like I looked at Barbara's as sort of three different lives. And so you go into your professional life and you, you briefly talked about it. Um, and so, but I know that you had said that you, you had premonitions when you were younger, but you didn't really know what they were. And so can you, can you touch on when your earliest memory of those were and not looking back on it, like what happened with those or sponsored by PSK. You can find them online at lids.com, pskcollective.com, tjmax.com, 
walmart.com and now Kohl's department store at Kohl's.com. And now back to this incredible interview right here in the sports. My earliest memory was my grandmother. So I was 10 years old and, um, and my parents and I were in uh, Las Vegas that we would go there every New Year's. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother lived in Miami and my grandparents lived in Miami, the one from Cuba. And so um, closer to midnight, you know, Nevada time, I feel my chest close and I feel an instant thought of my grandmother. And I said, have you checked on Abuela? And he is like, no, it's late. Cause it was like one o'clock in the morning or something like that in her time, but I'll call her, I'll call her tomorrow. And um, that was the moment that she had her fatal heart attack. Oh. And it, it's interesting because my dad told me years later that before he left for that trip, she kept hugging him and kept saying, you know, tell your mother, you love her and tell, you know, just come here and just spend some time with me. So it was almost like she knew. And if anyone were to tell you that, that, um, this intuitive self is hereditary or genetic, I would say that it came from her because she was definitely more santera. Like she, she had this witchy side to her in Cuba. She always believed in extrasensory and had this kind of extrasensory perception. Um, and she would feel things. And my father would be like, you know, she would see and feel things. And we just thought it was mobbing crazy, but, um, but until it showed up in droves with me later, my father was like, I didn't realize how, how difficult it must've been for her. So that was, that was one of the first experiences. Um, and, and the next time I think it was in college and I was hugging my, my uncle who had, who I would see every Rosh Hashanah. And, you know, when I hugged him, I had an overwhelming sadness. This was the last time I was going to see him. And two days later he died. Um, and so he was healthy. He was running five miles a day. This wasn't, uh, there weren't any signs, but, um, none that I knew of. And so you weren't at the point where you say anything yet. No, I wasn't. I did with my grandmother. And when my uncle passed, I did talk to my Orthodox rabbi and his wife is Cuban. The Rebison was Cuban. And so she's like, um, she's like, there's something in Kabbalah that talks about this, but you cannot study it. And it's very like, he put the fear of God in me. He's like, you know, I won't study it. I opened the Zohar once and it scared the heck out of me. And so I was like, I was like, all right, you know, I just, but, but because the Rebbitzin was also Juban, you know, she was, she, she not only had the strong faith in God, but had, um, the ability to feel these things and understood because the, the Hispanic culture leans more into spirituality than the general market. And so I think that that was, um, I had, I had a place to release some of what I was feeling, but Mm. it wasn't like I had direction on how to deal with it. So I thought I was willing it to happen, like manifesting it. Um, so I just shut it down until it came down to my own foreboding that I couldn't stop. Wow. That's a long time in between. Yeah. So when you say you shut it down, you didn't sense anything else between No, those? I did sense things, but there were things like, you know, if somebody was sexually abused or like, like I had no filter. So I would say things like, oh my God, are you okay? And, mm-hmm. um, and then I would see the look of horror and I was like, this is not doing anybody any good, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, well, mm-hmm. so 
I was like, I do not want to see any of these things. And so I made it a point to just shut up. Um, and so when you, when you make a solid decision to be like, I do not want to see it. It's not like it just goes away completely. It's just right. you let the other noise come in and you just get distracted. Um, you're in the forest, the- but you're not seeing the trees at this point. That's correct. That's correct. Wow. Yeah. So I have to be transparent. Um, you know, I, I'm a firm believer of spirits and um, uh, I've seen a lot of signs since my uh, late stepfather passed away over 20 years ago in 1999. I mean, the, the signs have been um, too many to ignore, mm-hmm. whether you always have believed in this stuff or you, all of a sudden some things happen in your life and you're like, okay, you can't really ignore that. And so it's been birds mostly feathers colors of the birds you know the color red birds sitting on the neighbor's yard that like i'm talking like hawks Mm -hmm. birds that never come into this neighborhood uh ducks that go into the pool i mean things that just never happened before yeah and so um you know i do want to ask you like how now you know sort of in your third life you know how you help people navigate these spaces that you ignored for so long you know, I, I, I talk, I feel like my calling isn't really to um, proselytize about spirituality or religion. And I don't feel like it is um, to, to force feed people to believe right. in something if they're on the fence about it. I really feel like- You educate. I, I do, but from- so where I actually lead from, even though I've had the near-death experience, even though I do see spirits, even though I continue to have premonitions and, the, and they're kind of crazy, I document everything because I just want to know that I'm not crazy, more so than just, hey, I'm right, you know. Um, but what I do is I tell people that we have, we all have intuition, whether you believe it comes from a spiritual place or whether we are hardwired this way and there's a scientific explanation, it does not matter as long as you have faith in yourself and believe that what is happening to you is real because ultimately it can literally save your life and those around you. So, so, um, so the education part of it is to explain what a premonition feels like versus what anxiety or what a casual thought is for the the clinicians, the healthcare workers to listen to patients differently just because they think that, you know, it doesn't add up with the data, doesn't mean it couldn't happen. Scientific, Um, yeah. Yeah, and and so I know medicine is going down a certain path where they're not really worried too much about the outliers. They're looking at the data, getting their checks and balances and moving forward. I am a living example that the checks and balances didn't add up, even though it did on paper, it did. The patient was already giving you the diagnosis. Now I'm also smart enough to know that it's not like they were going to go out of their way to prepare for a hysterectomy before I actually needed one. But what they were missing is that I'd had a baby before I'd had a C-section before I work and thrive really well under pressure. I'm not a histrionic, neurotic human being. And this is not typical behavior of their patient. And so maybe listening a little differently would have given me a sense of calm going into the OR that I had been heard um, because I did not know I was ultimately heard. So for people that haven't read your book, 
uh, or haven't gone on your website and don't really know what in God's name we're talking about. Yeah. Can you share with everyone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I know you've shared it a lot, but uh, it, it can't be overstated enough how um, there's more out there and we just don't know yeah. everything. You know, for the record, I do believe that there's more out there. I do believe that life exists when we physically stop, you know, I do believe that a patient can see and hear you when they're in a coma, that consciousness exists outside of the body. And the reason that I believe all these things is, is because of what happened. So, um, I was pregnant with our second child and, you know, the first one, I had no complications other than the fact that she was just too big. So I had a C-section wasn't a problem. I was back at work eight days later. It was not, it, it wasn't a, a big shift in, in anything, but at the 20 week ultrasound with our son, um, I was diagnosed with a placenta previa, which is basically the placenta growing on top of the cervix. And in most cases, as the belly grows, as the uterus grows, the placenta will move out of the way and there's no, no harm, no foul. And what they kept saying was the worst case scenario is I'd have a C-section. Well, I've had one before. Okay. And like I said, my husband's a PhD from University of Chicago. He's an economist. He testifies as an expert witness. You know, he was a former Air Force pilot. So for him, the data that is given to him about my situation is pretty much a non-issue. I'm having prenatal care. I'm delivering at Northwestern Memorial Hospital Prentice. They deliver 12,000 babies a year. I'm having plenty of, of, you know, of care, right? I'm taking care of myself. But in the moment that I was diagnosed with that, I had a very deep, deep knowing and what I call, um, what many call intuitive moments, I call a knowing. You don't know how you know, you just do. Every single one of us has had these experiences, whether you are driving someplace and you make a decision to go left instead of right, or you're about to go out with somebody or you meet somebody and you're like, something's off. You don't know why this is off, but you just need to learn how to trust it, which has become my mission in helping people trust it more. So, you know, what does one do who, you know, who feels something you start Dr. Googling it. So I'm like, okay, what's a placenta previa? What happens? What are the complications? And at some point through my research, I read that a placenta previa can turn into an accreta, which is what Kim Kardashian had, mm-hmm. um, where the placenta merges with the uterus. If that happens, you might need a hysterectomy. If that happens, you might hemorrhage. And if that happens, you and the baby could lose your life. Um, and I sat back and I looked at my husband and I said, this is going to happen to us. The only difference is the baby's going to be fine. And the visions were so detailed. Like as I was reading the words, I saw it unfolding in my mind's eye, like, um, like, okay, I'm going to be cut from sternum to pelvis. I'm going to be intubated. I'm going to be under general anesthesia. I'm like, it was just a, a download of information in a split second. And again, it was this knowing I didn't question where I got this information. I didn't question whether I manifested it. I didn't question whether God spoke to me. I didn't question whether, whether this was something energetic. I was like, it was go time. And I had to do anything I could to save my life. 
Um, so and, in and your husband looked at you sideways. Oh, completely. Like he was like, what you're afraid of is never going to happen. You know, first of all, where you are in a teaching hospital, they're prepared with emergency drills. You need to relax. Oh God. I, I, I want to ask this question right now, but I'm going to wait to ask. No, this go, ahead, go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I got to wait because if, if I ask now, it's going to, it's going to be out of order. So keep, see, keep going. Okay. And then, yeah. So, so no, you know, if, if you saw me on, on the Today Show with the interview, um, Megan Kelly said, you know, and she was married to an anesthesiologist. She's like, you know, you don't have to take her word for it. She spoke to everyone. And I did. I spoke to every doctor, every nurse. Right. I spoke to, I mean, if you saw me in Starbucks and you were like, oh, how's the pregnancy going? I'd be like, I'm going to die. I mean, I was so matter of fact about it. I mean, friends stayed away from me. They thought my Jonathan thought there was something wrong with the baby. Um, I, I had, um, ultrasounds. I actually sought out the head of obstetric, um, uh, what was it? Um, a gynecological oncologist, because I had learned that, you know, if I needed a hysterectomy during a procedure, the OB would have to transfer it to maternal fetal medicine, but a gynonc would be one who does mostly high risk surgeries with reproductive organs. And so that's who you want to do it. So taking a point, I had MRIs, every test came back negative. And my husband said, you should feel better. And I said, I feel worse because I'm running out of people to tell this crazy foreboding story too. So I took to Facebook. I posted on Facebook. If anybody has my blood type, I'm going to need it. Not because I knew people were going to donate blood, but because maybe somebody would have heard, oh, my cousin had this and it ended up being cancer or whatever. Then it gives me some, some task to do to try and figure out why I'm feeling this way. Um, I wrote goodbye letters. I sent out goodbye letters. I told people exactly what was going to happen in two months time. And then ultimately I had a final consultation with anesthesia, which I didn't have with my first, but what I didn't know and for your audience to know is like the anesthesiologist is there to keep you alive in the OR. And they are, when, when you say something about things, they are the ones that have a flag in their head of like what could go wrong. Allergies or anything else. Yeah. So I had a consultation with Dr. Grace Lim, as you mentioned her early on. Um, and she, you know, tried to calm me down. Um, she said, you know, you're in a teaching hospital, we're prepared for certain things. But, you know, I hope I made you feel better. And I didn't know anything was done other than the fact that she was just listening to me give the spiel that I was giving the last three months. So it wasn't anything, anything abnormal. It was just like, okay, here's the last, last ditch effort. And um, so at 36 weeks to the day, I was supposed to have a mandatory C-section at 37 weeks, but at 36 weeks to the day, I bleed all over the kitchen floor. I get to the hospital. Jonathan, my husband is in New York. Um, and you know, I'm ready to deliver this baby. And were you freaking I- out? Cause you knew, you knew what you knew. Sports Deli is sponsored by sport RX, the leader in sport prescription eyewear. You can find them online at sportrx.com. And don't forget to enter the code deli 10 at checkout for your special 10% discount. And now back to this incredible interview right here on the sports. Yeah, I was freaking out because I was trying, you know, I'm Skype chatting with him. I'm writing down these things to him in these loving messages, trying to make him understand that 
these are the last words he's going to read from me. Like whatever I write here, he's going to read over and over again. And I'm, I'm, and I'm also, I have my two-year-old there and I'm trying not to cry to scare her. And, oh. you know, and if, if anybody is understanding like that kind of pressure, it was palpable because I knew the day that I would give birth, I didn't know which day I'd give birth, but the day that I give birth was the day I was going to die. And it was so, the fear was so palpable that, that, you know, I just, it's almost like when you're being buried alive and I've never been buried alive, but you can, you can imagine it. Yeah. You're being buried alive and they're putting dirt on top of you and you have your last few breaths to grab because you've got to hold on to breathe however much you can breathe before you oh. know you're going to die. That was the feeling that it was. Um, I get wheeled down to the operating room. I try one more time. I tell my doctor, there's something wrong. You need to put me under general anesthesia. And she's like, Stephanie, I'm not going to do that. It's going to knock out the baby. And I know you're nervous. Jonathan's not here, but we're going to take care of you. Was that um, Grace at this point? No, this was Dr. Levitt. So the one okay. you saw on the Netflix yeah. um, show. And so she wheel, they wheel me into the OR. And if you know anything about delivery, you know, you're having a C-section. So you have an epidural in your arms are in a T they put a C-sec, they put a curtain in front of your face. So you're not mm -hmm. going to see the, the incisions or anything. And it's not like I could run away from this. This is, I was being wheeled into the room to give life to my son. And it was also the same room that was going to take mine. And so you're just, you're in this state of like, you're catatonic, like you're, the fear is so palpable. And so by the time, you know, they delivered Jacob, you know, apparently they said that they were talking to me, but I didn't, I didn't um, hear anything. I think that I, you know, if you believe in being scared out of your body, I think that that's exactly what happened because I didn't answer them. They delivered Jacob, um, healthy, happy, everything's fine with him. And then seconds later, I'm dead. Pass the pickles. Pass the pickles. Jesus Christ. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. And so uh, Grace took notice. Yeah. So, you know, there was, so I ended up, like you said, I had an amniotic fluid embolism, which is a very rare pregnancy complication. It's a one in 40,000 risk. Most doctors will never see it in their lifetime. Um, they, you know, you'll read about it in textbooks. It's basically where amniotic cells get into the mother's bloodstream. And if you happen to be allergic to it, your body goes into anaphylactic shock. And in most cases, you don't make it. Um, so the first phase is cardiac arrest, lungs collapse, everything. And so I was lucky enough to have a crash cart there, be intubated and only had flatline for 37 seconds. Um, and once you're back up, that's when the second phase starts, which is DIC, which is the body's inability to clot blood, which anesthesiologists have um, thoughtfully created an acronym called death is coming. Um, so your body has 20 units of blood normally. I'm O negative, which was also a fear of mine. Um, that's was, not universal. O positive is universal. It's a, it's a universal donor, but I can only receive O negative. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So, um, so I was given 60 units of blood and blood product to save my life. And there were 
a couple of things in the OR I didn't predict. And that was, there was a crash cart and there was extra blood waiting for me. And it turned out that Dr. Grace Lim, you know, felt uncomfortable. She told me later, she felt uncomfortable with our conversation. She said she had never had a patient speak so clearly about what was going to happen. Had had a baby before, had had a C-section. Who had no medical experience. Like you, you didn't know this field no. or this space at all. And had sought out specialists to save her life. And with that one phone call, she's the one that flagged my file, incorporating those extra measures in the operating room. And that's why I'm alive today. Oh, unbelievable. So now I got to ask the question. Is sponsored by City Lokes, C-I-T-Y-L-O-C-S. You can find them online at citylokes.com where you can go and make your own personalized license plate hats. They're so cool. You got to check them out. And don't forget to enter the code THESPORTSDELI at checkout for your special 10% discount. And now back to this incredible interview right here in the sports deli. What did your husband say after the fact when once <laughs> once he got past that, you know, period? Yeah. Where, yeah. So, so I had him write a chapter in the book that he just didn't want to write. And you'll, because you're an audio book fan, he had to voice it. Um, the audiobook was very, very difficult more than anything else. And I just did the audiobook in January. So, um, it, uh, so he says he didn't think twice about certain things, but what I, we haven't unwrapped all of it, but I'm giving him the time to take layer by layer at a time, because I still believe as strong a man as he is and as solid as he is, you know, we all react to trauma differently. And in his mind, he, you know, post everything, he's happy. We, we dodged a bullet, but you know, the reality is the bullet hit me dead on. I survived the bullet. And it was, it's that kind of switch in thinking that has been painful. But what he did was as soon as he got to the, ho the hospital, he had texted the doctor and the doctor was like, you know, how's everything? And, and the doctor's like, the baby's fine and Stephanie's stable. And he's smart enough to know that's not good. And so he got to the eighth floor delivery. Um, my doctor, Julie Levitt had blood all over her scrubs. And she said, you know, there were some complications. I'm going to sit you in the, the consultation from the anesthesiologist will be here. And Dr. Higgins, um, the one that actually did the, the resuscitation and the crash cart, she sat with Jonathan. She explained what had happened. And then oh, he, he must've been freaking the fuck out. He, but he will tell you he went into autopilot mode. So when well, he's he, a numbers guy, he's a, is, so he can go and be is, a process person in that moment. And, and interestingly enough, anesthesiologists say, you know, anesthesiologists and pilots think the same way. So they appreciated the fact that he was mm. not emotional, that he was very much focused on what's morbidity, mortality. What do we need to do? What does oh. she need? What, you know, where do we right. go on this stage? So that makes their job a little easier. Um, but he did tell her if she needs a hysterectomy, this is the doctor we met with two months before. And they, she thought that that was odd. Um, said, you know, she said, a, I, I remember her telling me later that she's like, you know, I thought it was odd, but you know, you wouldn't have survived another surgery. Plus we thought you were stable. So um, they had stabilized the bleed and they put me into the surgical ICU. And that's kind of where you see all the, the, I only have a few photos from that because Jonathan took those photos. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how he found me, you know, was 
exactly like that was the next time he saw me. And so he's sitting with the machines breathing for me. You're hearing everything. Um, interestingly enough, the life support machine that I was on was the number 18, which oh, in, in the right. religion is, is life. It's high, you know, <laughs> believable. But I didn't see the number on the machine until years later. You know, it's like a friend of mine was like, did you take a look at your life support machine? It was a, you know, like a random numbered unit. Right. And so (laughs) I believe in all the signs, but it's just just very interesting. And so I think like, you know, after seven hours of him listening to the machines, they realized that the bleed was still happening and they called in the doctor, the gynonc that I had met with two months before who performed the hysterectomy, the pathology on the uterus showed that an accreta had started to form, but the MRI didn't pick it up when it picked it up. And um, and yeah, everything happened the way I said it was going to happen. And what did you see when you were dead? Because that part is interesting to me as well. Yeah. Like that's just unbelievable. You didn't just see like the white light, right? You saw like no. what was going on in there. It's- it's so interesting because I was, because you're Jewish, it's, it's really interesting to have the conversation with you because, um, so I didn't, yeah, I was on the Steve Harvey show and Steve said, did you see the light? And I said, I don't know, man, they gave me a lot of drugs. You know, I didn't, you know, I wasn't afraid to say I didn't, but what you don't see on the Netflix stuff is all the details that you read about in the book. Um, but when I went back in using hypnotherapy, I was able to pick up everything that happened prior, during, and after. And so everything I'm telling you is post, but it was verified and validated afterwards. So I had seen when I had flatlined hundreds of spirits, you know, I didn't see God. Um, I saw a triangle of light, which I don't talk about. And I was having this conversation with this rabbi last night because he's, you know, he is a near-death experiencer and he was like, well, you know, why it was a triangle. And I'm like, well, you know, if I'm not Jewish, I would say father, son, and the Holy Spirit. And then, you know, the Jewish perspective is like, is it Israelites, Levites, and, and Kohanim, or is it, you know, or is it the upside down triangles in the Star of David, David, Mm. you know, and what the, what that means. And so I'm still, I'm still looking at that. I don't know whether I'll ever be able to to prove any of it, but it's kind of comforting knowing that some people have heard some of that information. And then, um, but the interesting thing is, you know, when I've read articles about people who've been traumatized or have gone through near death experiences in psychology today, there were articles about how you wish it's wishful thinking that your loved ones are there. Right. It's like, okay, you know, of course you want your loved ones to welcome you in your death defying, you know, experiences or, your close death experience. Um, and so, okay, I said, okay, we'll put a pin in that one. Um, but it's the ones I did not know that had messages for the ones that I do know here in this living earth that caught me by surprise seeing Jonathan's father who had passed in 1998, who I didn't know, or my best friend's little brother who was seven at the time of his death. And so it was just those kind of things that kind of threw me for a loop and making me realize that there's just more to this than just wishful thinking. That is amazing. Have you had anything since? Yeah. Oh boy. So do you reach out now to, to, to change the course of someone's uh, path? 
So it's interesting. So the podcast that I'm, that I'm launching is called Knowing, right? And um, I'm hearing stories from people who've had experiences that they've, they've, um, they've witnessed, they've inserted themselves into the narrative. They didn't, you know, dreams that they've had just, just to show that it's out there. This isn't just my story. A lot right. of people have had these stories. And this one guy um, in my pilot episode you know, has made the decision afterwards that he is no longer going to insert himself into the narrative because he feels that he's interfering with other people's karma. And I respectfully disagreed with him. I said, um, I said, you might not be able to change the outcome, but given the information, maybe it prepares the person differently than if it comes out of left field, right? There is a woman who told me a story about a dream that she had had and it involved her cousin and the details are unimportant, but she had told the cousin that he was gonna be killed a certain way. And he's like, what are you a psychic now? And I never go here and I never do this, whatever. Um, so she felt foolish, but it stayed with her, it haunted her. So she had told him and then, you know, two years later it happened exactly the way she said it would. And I said to her, oh my God, I'm like, what you know like in shock and she's like Stephanie but I realized that the premonition wasn't for him he's like a brother to me and so when I had that vision and I I told him about it I had mourned the loss and the shock the first time I had the vision so two years later when it happened it wasn't a surprise and so do I believe that you can change outcome well you know Jonathan and I argue a lot about predetermination and free will. I do believe everybody has an expiration date um, and I'm not messing with that. The thing is, is that the, you know, Northwestern had, at the time had only had 10 AFEs, amniotic fluid embolisms mm -hmm. in their history. Six did not make it and the other three are in permanent vegetative states. So um, maybe I was never going to um, expire at that time, but how well I survived was due to my free will. So I don't, um, I don't think they're on the same path. I feel like they are on different paths. I think your, your expiration date is your expiration date and how, how you get there, where you meander is, is your free will to take a left or a right, but you're still going to expire on this day. It doesn't make a difference. That day is your your day that you're not going to get out of. But isn't, isn't it the same if somebody read something in a book and, and a light clicked or a light went on, or if they got information from a person, you know, that, that had a premonition and you're just planting the seed. It's up to that person as to whether or not they want to do something about it. Maybe, but you know, if, if their expiration is their expiration, it's like you are giving certain insider information. Now that, you know, maybe, maybe that you were planted in their karmic path in order to help them avoid a rough patch where they didn't need to go, but their expiration might still be in June, but your information you gave them in February is going to help them not be completely um, a, a vegetable until June when they expire. So I, so that's, that's the way I look at it. If, if I'm given information, like um, you asked, you know, yes, the premonitions keep coming, but what I do now, especially when it comes to family and, and close friends, I, 
I soften the blow a little bit. I don't just come out where I used to be like, oh, you know, like, oh, you need your blood checked and check that. And, you know, like that I don't. What I do now is like we were walking, we were in Israel for my daughter's bat mitzvah. And, you know, we were walking through a park to get to our hotel in Tel Aviv. And I had an overwhelming feeling that a drug deal was going gone and it was going to go bad. And so instead of waiting for it to happen, I said to my husband, I said, I feel like this is happening on the far right corner of this park. So just be alert and let's just get through and and keep our eye on the prize to get out of the park. And because we were alert and aware, nothing happened. Now, does that mean the drug deal ever happened or didn't happen? I don't know. But do I need to turn around and prove that it was going to happen? And if the only thing I did was stay on alert, I think it's worth it to be a little more vigilant when you're, when you have those feelings. Oh man. Talk about this for hours. So talk about uh, Netflix and the book and the differences between, you know, what people are to expect, you know, if they're watching Netflix versus obviously books are always more detailed, right? Yeah. It's much, it's much more detailed and you get more history and, and Mm -hmm. all of the signs and everything like you, you love so much kind of like all of it just, comes together and you're like, holy shit. And, and for Jonathan, it's, it's definitely his journey too, even though he's like, oh, it's your book, but you'll, you'll see like, you know, it took a long time. I mean, I think the book was due like in two weeks and Jonathan refused to write this chapter. And I was like, mm-hmm. I need this chapter. And he's like, he's like, Hey, this is your book. I don't want to talk about it. And I'm like, I can't talk about when I was in a coma and everybody wants to know what the hell were you thinking now that everything came to fruition. And so it took him a long time, but then ultimately when he wrote it, I understood why it took so long. It's, it's incredibly raw and painful. Um, and like you said, everybody grieves differently. They do. And, and I have to give him, you know, I, I have to give him props for, doing it in his way. I mean, when, when I speak at medical conferences, I've, I asked him to speak at a national conference with like 3000 nurses. And he's like, I don't, they don't want to hear from me. I said, I think they do. And so he got up and he spoke from the patient's family perspective of what they did to support the family. And it was invaluable. I mean, they cry to, to this day when people see it or speak about it, it's like, you know, they never get that perspective. And even from the Netflix series, if you watch the entire series, there's nobody on there that their, their loved one is right next to them talking about the story, which I thought was odd. I was like, you know, this is a journey we were on together and everybody that's had these kind of profound experiences, their loved one is affected by it. And, um, and so that's one thing you'll get from Netflix that you won't get from the, because he doesn't do interviews. And so that's the only time he actually agreed to do a two shot and, and wow. then that's when they, the press called me a sleeper star. Cause every time he was, he was saying something oh. in his analytical way, I was like, are you really, really, <laughs> really like, like rolling my eyes, like, like really, you're going to call that a coincidence. That's not a coincidence. I, I was the one that's saying, I don't believe in coincidence. Right. That is statistically impossible. Right. I was going to say it had to be a numbers thing. <laughs> it was, it was painful. It's still to this day. Like I was explaining to, we were, we were at a, at my daughter's, um, field hockey game I'm just sitting randomly next to a guy who ended up his father sits on the board of University of Miami and was sitting having lunch with his best friend from camp this guy is 82 years old his best friend from camp is my grandmother's brother's son 
Oh my gosh. And I said to Jonathan, I said, I said, you call that not a coincidence? And he is like, yep. Just a random, random thing. I said, you're an idiot. But you know, it's hard. <laughs> um, oh, tell everybody about the bikini, the bikini uh, uh, contest. Cause I want to hear about that before we get to the rapid fire, because I think yeah, that, uh, you sent me a picture of both you being intubated and in the hospital. One of those couple of pictures that, that your husband took. And then the right next to it was you in this contest. And oh man, what an inspiration. Thank you. No, it was, um, I was tired of hearing myself complain. Um, mm-hmm. There was no way I was going under the knife to do a mommy makeover. I have massive scarring, um, you know, down the center of my, my abdomen, it keloided and it herniated. So I had to have mesh put into my stomach. So there were so many surgeries there and they, no plastic surgeon would even touch it in case I would lose blood supply to my belly button. So I was living with this, like just a hysterectomy. So I, didn't, I had my, my choice taken away from me, even though I might not have wanted more children, I didn't have the option. I had had my body just scarred up and I grew up in Miami. So for, you know, growing up in Miami where the clothes are like nothing, you know, I've, I lost all of that kind of sexiness in my mind. Now, my husband didn't feel that way. My husband's like, if I had all those scars, you would still think I was hot and sexy and everything. I said, yes, but it's different for a woman who is just like all chopped up. So, so I was tired of hearing myself complain. And so then, um, I, you know, we get back from a trip and I said, you know what, I'm a total immersion kind of person, but a short term total immersion. I'm not an athlete. I am not, uh, I'm not someone who likes uh, group sports. I don't even like step classes. Like I'm not coordinated. Um, I am creative, but with ADHD. Right. So it's like, as you can tell from this conversation. Right. So, um, so that makes two of us. <laughs> right. And I learned this later in life. Right. So, so I am, so I find I, I was doing my research and it was like this whole bikini bodybuilding competition was like 16 weeks. Right. I'm like, okay, I can do anything for 16 weeks, but, but you have to have a goal, right? And, you know, whenever I worked on a TV show or I ever did anything, there was a goal. There's a beginning, there's prep, pre-production, production and post. And I, I looked at this as like a three to four month kind of commitment. And I said, no matter what, it's going to be better than where I am today if I do something consistently, right? So I found a professional like IFBB Pro she took one look at me and she said, you work out. And I was like, I do. She's like with weights. And I'm like, fuck you. And, so, <laughs> and then I had a premonition about her and I started like vomiting everything. And that woman who is like a beast, wow. like she's an IFBB pro, but physique. So she is a big like beast of a woman she was crying in a puddle in front of me because of everything I saw her mother had passed I saw her mother I had all these messages that came through the floodgates and so she's like all right I guess we're stuck with each other right so um so I'm glad I didn't know all the details about everything I needed to do she's like let's take it week by week (laughs) right 
Oh man. But, but I started to see like after three weeks where I was headed and I was like, okay, I'm starting to get a little bit of muscle and then growing. And I couldn't do the things that most um, competitors do, which is I couldn't dehydrate because I had kidney failure. So I couldn't take certain supplements. And, and for any of you that know about what, like some of these bodybuilding competitions are like the supplements and what you're doing to pull out water. I'm like, I can't do that. You know, I'm not going to take a chance when my kidneys falling offline. So, um, so I went in it with an open heart. I did not, I had zero intention on getting on a stage. I couldn't even, I mean, I had no equilibrium or, or stability in my, my, stomach and my right. so the end so, yeah so my core was like I mean it was completely severed from the rest of my body energetically physically I yeah. had ACs like I had all of these things and the abdomen which you know is the last to come in when you're right. doing anything like this so that was the bane of my existence because I kept no matter everything else around me was growing beautifully, perfectly. The abdomen was, was still, I was like, it's not there. But then, um, as I got closer and closer, she's like, you're getting on that stage. And I'm like, I'm no, I'm not. And then, then Jonathan was like, honey, I want you to get on the stage. And I'm like, wow. you should want me in the stripper heels. And, <laughs> the very beginning. and then, um, I felt strong enough that I'm like, you know what? I'm inspiring myself. I'm like, and all these and I was 48 when I did it. And I was like, for the women that are sitting there saying they need, they can't afford plastic surgery, or they need to have it in order to get their body back in shape. I'm like, you know what, I'm walking the walk, I'm going to, I'm going to present it and be like, you can, it it wasn't about any trophies. It wasn't about any win. It wasn't about competition. It was about like, holy shit, look at where I went from and look at where I am. And I took mm. home second place in my category and Unreal. then top five. That was the, the, the crazy thing. I was fifth in the top five, but I was against 20 year olds and girls Unbelievable. certain steroids and, and dehydrating. <laughs> and I was just like, right. was like, well, this is what you got. So, yeah. Oh man, that is a version of the sports deli that we have not had before. That is, that is unbelievable. Fascinating. Oh my goodness. (laughs) What a great story. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you look and what they don't tell you is you look great, but you don't smell great. Like, I don't know what it, that's from all the protein. Right. Cause I was just like, this is disgusting. Jonathan's like, I want to have sex with you, but you don't smell great. (laughs) So it's like, if you don't have a pizza, I'm not interested in sex with this you. This is right this now. type of stuff that Jubans typically do not talk about publicly for no. the record. They don't. <laughs> they don't. <laughs> you know. Oh, man. All right, let's get to the rapid fire. Your time is incredibly valuable. If that's okay, we got some. Sure. Okay. What's next on your bucket list? Um, to get the movie out. I finished the screenplay for the 39th time, and I'm just now on. Um, I have... <sighs> Hawk Koch, who was the president of the Academy Awards, optioned the rights. I have wow. a second producer on there who teaches screenwriting at USC. So they're mentoring me to get this done and get it out into the world from, on a, you know, however yeah. it's going to be out there. Oh, it's going to be so well received. Uh, is it going to be in LA, the, the uh, premiere on the I red have, carpet? Man, that would be amazing. Wow. I have no idea. 
you, who knows where I want you to go world, in a bikini. <laughs> yeah. Who knows where the world is going, but oh I, you know, gosh, I, really. you know, I had told them my, cause I had written an original screenplay that they were like, this is good, but it's a lifetime movie. And I said, I'm okay with lifetime. My audience is like, it's no problem. And they were like, no, we're, we're looking at taking the spirit. So as I started writing it, um, I've been fortunate to have really incredible mentors in my life that really believe and want this story to get out there because I, I do feel it will help so many. And I think when it's in the movies, you know, people will take note to it. Then more people will have the story or the book. And then they can also, it'll help them listen to their intuition a little differently where they can have some crazy foreboding story to point to and say, you know, I felt this before because those are the kind of emails that I get. And so the more that we talk about this, the more, and that's why I do the clubhouse once a week. Um, I want to have like-minded individuals there to share their stories, to know that there's a safe space for them to not be judged over the fact right. that they believe in things that they can't see. Um, and some of those things can, can kill you. So, yeah. It reminds me of the chicken soup for the soul series where people were inspired and you just couldn't help but believe there's too many of the stories. And when we're living in a time of so much division, you know, yeah. this type of thing is so important for people to, to have hope, you know, more people are depressed. You just don't know the, the extension the extrapolation of where this might be able to go for people. So that's just, that's just amazing. Hopefully sooner than later. So speaking of movies, what was your favorite, what's your favorite movie of all time? Wow. Um, that is hard. I loved movies from of Dead, course po you did. <laughs> Dead Poet Society. Oh, I loved. Um, we could talk about Robin Williams too. What a, oh my, talk about yeah. mental health. Oh. Mental health is a I mean, I, um, Citizen Kane. Yes. I, I mean, wow. there are movies that you like a James Bond person back in the day, or did you like? I know, know I like Superman James Bond. Or, yeah. No, I was never into the Marvel stuff or the big Star Wars. I mean, no, no, I mean, I watched them because Jacob, now who's now eight, you right. know, he's fascinated with Star Wars. So, watching them again, it's really, wow. really cool to see. And, and what's interesting is that I'm seeing the messages in them now writing a screenplay because, you know. Star Wars was all about light and dark, right? right. It was the, the white good light. versus evil. Yeah, it really is. But it, but when you're looking at Darth Vader and you're looking at, um, uh, was it uh, not Han Solo? Um, Luke Skywalker. Thank you. That um, that the lightsabers were these different colors, and it was and it was finding the light. And they were talking about you know what is the source. And when you're talking, and I'm like, oh my God, they're talking about this is what I live in my life. And so that has been inspirational and in, mm. in creating messages. It's just, it's really, really amazing. So, so I start thinking, oh, maybe George Lucas had a near death experience, or maybe he's experienced some things where these things come wow. from, but it's, um, it is, it is fascinating how you see things, the world differently. Yeah. In your third life, uh, yeah. favorite TV show growing up. You know, I loved, <laughs> I loved All in the Family. Oh my gosh! I, I liked Facts of Life. I like. Oh, that's yeah. right. Um, but I mean, I met Carol O'Connor in Vegas the year that my grandmother died, and wow. and so and he's nothing like the character. 
No, no, yeah. he, he's very nice. I mean, he, yeah, he's a good he, guy. Yeah. Yeah. He drank, he still smoked cigars and everything, but yeah. Vegas, he was just like walking around. Like he was just the average Joe. Wow. Um, but really, it, you know, things like love boat things like yeah. you know, just fantasy, fantasy island. island. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and now you see all the remakes and you're like, ah, you know, like the plane, the plane. I had <laughs> Jake. I think Jake was like, one in the stroller and he looked up he's like the plane and i'm like plane. <laughs> that's classic eva longoria or jennifer lopez eva longoria 100%. <laughs> not a jennifer lopez fan especially after her recent breakup wow uh george lopez or that information what yeah right jennifer george lopez or antonio banderas hmm you know, Banderas. Yeah, Banderas. of course. I don't know. We'll, we'll make sure your husband doesn't listen to that part. No, me. he doesn't. He, yeah, yeah, he's, he's like, fine. Yeah, okay. when I asked him one time, I'm like, he asked me, I think he asked me for, he's like, if we were playing that game of a hall pass, he was like, he was like, I was like, who would yours be? He's like, um, <laughs> oh, wow. And so he was like, I think he said Michelle Pfeiffer and Megan oh, Kelly or something at the time. Oh, yeah, I, mean, yeah, yeah. I said, Oh, okay. I said, you'll meet Megan Kelly one day. And then he did. And then he had nothing to say to her. And I'm like, you know what this bullshit? I'm like, I have <laughs> I'm like, you know, if you're going to go there, at least really go there. Like, don't be all fun. But then for me, he was like, well, who for you? I said, Barry Manilow. And he's, <gasps> really? like, he's like, okay. I was like, <laughs> of course just, he's fine with Barry Manilow. <laughs> I said, just because you think he's gay and the world thinks he's gay. This is before he came out and, you right. know, officially, I was like, you haven't been in his bedroom. You don't know. <laughs> in that, in that accent, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's classic. Favorite meal to cook for your family. Um, brisket, brisket, potatoes, wow. rice. Ooh, challah. steak and potatoes. Challah. Yeah. Have you had, okay. So the next question, which I wasn't going to ask in this order, but since you brought it up, French toast, pancakes, or waffles. Oh, challah French toast. There you go. All right. So that was easy. Vacuuming yeah. laundry or dishes. <laughs> None of the above. <laughs> Am I supposed to put them in an order of you know, like, like which I, one? Which one do you prefer? Vacuuming dishes or or laundry? None. None. Okay, none. got. Okay. Popcorn or candy at the movies? Both. None of those are therapeutic to you. I'm, I don't need to go back to that question for a second. Really? Not, no. Like none of, no. None okay. of it. You know what? In the pandemic, <laughs> I was constantly mopping and and vacuuming, oh. and I hated everybody. I was like, you know what? <laughs> I worked really, really hard my whole life because I was like singularly focused. Like I want a housekeeper once a week. I'm like, right. I do not want, like I will work as hard as I'll take one less meal. I'll do whatever it is I need to do. Cause I cannot clean like that. No, it's not. The only thing that's therapeutic is like purging, like, you know, yeah, organizing. Yeah. And yeah, purging. yeah. 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 That's cool. Uh, favorite musical artist of all time. How can I do? I love the grateful dead. Wow, Barry Manilow and the Grateful Dead. I never would have expected that. I know. I know you didn't expect. Has anyone ever asked you these questions? No. This is fun. I love this. Um, Wait, what song are you singing in your car by yourself? You're so stupid. Okay, (laughs) no, um, Survivor. Oh wow! Like the no, not Beyonce. Oh, the artist Survivor. Oh wow! The band where it's like, um, like. I can't hold back. Yeah. It's like yeah, early eighties. Yeah. 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 Hair band. I wow. know it's stupid. I know. No, it's not stupid yeah. at all. 
Oh man, I have a funny story because I used yeah. to work on, see, this is why you do this. So it prompts all these things and it's great conversation. You yes. are a great interviewer and it's fun. It's like, you're having like, um, you're having a barbecue and we're just- That's right. <laughs> Family reunion. So I worked on, I, in development at 51 Minds, which they did Surreal Life, Flavor of Love, um, Rock of Love and everything. So right. when Brett Michaels came to Chicago, you know, Jonathan's friends are lawyers and professors at the UFC. And I said to him, I said, you know, I'm going to go see Brett at whatever Joe's pub or something like that. And I said, do you want to invite a couple so we can meet with him? And none of his friends wanted to go. I'm like, really, really? And they're like, no. So I take Jonathan with me. And, you know, after the concert, we sit on Brett's bus and Brett is really smart, right? So he's he right. talked about finance and Jonathan was really enjoying the conversation. And about 45 minutes later, I'm like, sweetheart, we have to go. And he's like, he's like, well, I'm having such a nice time. I said, because Brett has other people that are wanting to come join him. Well, have him come. Well, well, it's a party. I was like, no, it's not a party for you. This guy, we have to go. So he didn't get it. So as I'm walking, off, I'm walking off the bus and hug him and say goodbye, you know, all of the groupies that were lined up there were looking at me like, how did you have 45 minutes alone with him and giving me these stares? And then my husband walks in after me and they're confused, right? Because they're, <laughs> they're like, was he having, what, what, was, what was going on right there? So, um, but no, Brett is really really smart lovely it was fun but wow yeah what a great story favorite yiddish word shtick mashugana putz tuchus or chutzpah probably i i use shtick more than anything <laughs> of course you would yeah 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 <laughs> yeah what else do you i use schmuck too but shtick more than anything yeah yeah, schmuck's a good one too. I didn't have that in the list, but I probably should have added that one. Yeah. Probably dealing with a lot of schmucks, especially in your early years. Yeah. Among other things. Yeah. Uh, well, we're approaching the 50th anniversary of Title IX next year, mm-hmm. and so women have women have come a long way. And you know, you're yeah. you're one of those kind of pioneers, especially for uh, in the entertainment industry and for Jewish women and women in general and women of Cuban descent. I mean, it's just, it's just amazing. Uh, matzo ball soup, kefelta fish or latkes? I am a sucker for latkes with <laughs> sour cream. Oh, applesauce? Sour cream. Just sour cream. Wow. Favorite male athlete of all time? I have no idea. No. A crazy story because my best friend would laugh and, and you will laugh at this. So when I was running the division of Endemol USA Latino, um, we get a call from Dwayne Wade's, um, Dwayne Wade's, uh, manager saying he wants to have a meeting to discuss reality show and everything. We're like, okay. So, and my best friend who is like started her job at Modell's sporting goods store. Like she was wow. huge Puerto Rican. She, you know, heavy into sports. I am not. So I hang up and I'm like, is Dwayne Wade, the, the one that was on that TV show that, that was like with, um, uh, you know, the Cosby girl, like Lisa Bonet, where it was like Dwayne Wayne, like right. <laughs> and she's like, 
please don't ever repeat that. <laughs> That's right. Again. And I was like, okay. <laughs> okay. No problem. Just kidding. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So Dwayne Wade is your favorite male athlete. Of <laughs> favorite. <laughs> what I know of. No, That's you right. know, it's, I, wait, you know, no, I don't. Really I mean, your husband doesn't talk about Michael Jordan. I mean, you know, he, no, no, wow. because he's not, he's not a big sports fan. He went, oh, wow. you know, to Bulls games. He, you know, he owned a rooftop across from the Cubs. Wow. Um, so he was sued by the Cubs. So <gasps> the kids are like indoctrinated growing up in Chicago wow. that go Cubs go. And we're like, no, no, no Cubs. Go. No. <laughs> so they're like, so they're like, why? I'm like, well, he, the Cubs sued your father. Wow, that's awful. They're on my bucket list. Wrigley Field's on my bucket list too. Yeah, you have, now to. I'm have to. Yeah, you have to go. Yeah, I still have to go. Okay. Uh, do you have a favorite female athlete of all time? I'm still in awe by by female gymnasts. I mean, to look Simone at Simone Biles. Simone yeah. Biles. Yeah, and to yeah. even at Ellie Raisman and like yeah. to look at what they've done and Carrie Strug and like over the years of watching what Dominic Dawes. Yeah. Through. Oh. Yeah, but but I mean, athletics really. What when I tell you. When I had to sign for the bikini competition where it says um, athlete or non-athlete, I clicked non-athlete and they're like, my coach's like, what the hell are you doing? I'm like, what ass? Like <laughs> for the, the registration, not, I am a non-athlete. She's like, <laughs> so. God damn it. <laughs> it's a mindset. It really is. Oh God. And your kids play sports. So that's fun. Two of them do. Yeah. Them do. Yeah. That's okay. A couple more questions. If you could have any five people at your dinner table, past or presence, non-sport, I usually say sports or non-sports, but sports is never going to be a thing with you. So yeah. what five people would be at sorry. your dinner table? I sorry, because you're I mean, it really is a sports like podcast. Oh, we're, we're no, we, we're diversified. Side. Yeah, well, you got the deli side of it. So I got the food covered. Right. Yes. Um Ayn Rand. Oh. Um you know, I alive or not alive, right? Not alive. Yep. Yep. Um, Mayim Bialik. Um, I don't know who that is. She was on the Big Bang Theory, Jewish, but she's doing a, oh. a whole podcast about the mental breakdown. Oh. And, you know, she leads with her, with her heart. She's going to be the new host for Jeopardy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, right. And she's a neuroscientist. So she is. Wow. She's just, yeah. Um, Brene Brown, because I find the things that she talks about are really incredible. And I, I like philosophers. I like, you know, when they think differently and they, they force you to think. Nietzsche? Interesting. Yeah. You know how you say you only know a couple of sports people or you could only name a couple of people in sports. Nietzsche's probably the one philosopher that I could name. If you asked me to name a second, I Aristotle. probably could. Oh, Aristotle. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> two. I know two. <laughs> that's four. Yeah. I think you got one more person at the table. Um, be your grandmother. Yeah. I think it would be interesting to have my grandmother there now knowing what I know. Um, wow. I've spoken to her before now that she's passed, but, wow. but, you know, it, it would be nice to be like, what are you solid on? And actually the mm -hmm. Rebbe too, because, you know, when the Rebbe gave that prophecy, I'm curious, like, it, where does that come from for him? I mean, he's a seer and the Bible talks about seers. They talk about prophets, right. but 
I feel very uncomfortable with the word profit. So when you talk about people who see, people see all the time. And so does that make every seer a profit? And also how did those messages come in and how are you so secure with those, those prophecies? And how often are you wrong? Like I just, and like that's Nostradamus. my brain. Yeah, yeah. And that's my husband's brain pushing into it. But, but I think that that's what made the book a better book. And that's what made the story a better story is because he didn't just let me sit back on saying, okay, it's a spiritual experience. The doctors are saying it's a spiritual experience. He was like, no, this is, um, he was like, you need to ask more questions because it keeps happening. So, yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Well, it seems like your marriage has strengthened because of this whole experience. And, and uh, it seems like your communication is amazing. It just lessons that, that uh, every kid can learn from, just every, every couple could learn from. Um, and just the but layers are endless. Well, I don't want uh, the audience to think that it doesn't come without struggles, right? Because well, yeah, of for, course. For several years post, I had a feeling of I wasn't protected. You know, my husband, the uh -huh. one person who I trust with my heart and soul that I lean into that I am completely enamored by um, is didn't listen to me. And so in the recovery, it took several years to go through the process of you didn't hear me. And now how do I trust that you can hear me? And so the intimacy takes a major hit, then his insecurity hits, then mine, wow. because I don't feel sexy. And like, so then all of a sudden you're having lack of intimate, um, moments and then you're like okay well what do we have here and so it takes it takes an effort and a desire to to rebuild or build off of something new and what your new normal is so nothing nothing happens without you know a lot of push to to make it happen as we see with anything but yeah i appreciate being so open and honest and candid about that and, and uh it's interesting is do you look at it now where you know each other better and like maybe your love languages are different. And so that explains some of it. It is. And I think that's, what's making this, I think that's what the producer felt in the first draft that he had read and why the, um, the talent wasn't jumping on. He's like, I think you need to go back to your truth. And I felt like I was writing a fictionalized version of it, like mm -hmm. a notebook version of, um, a spiritual experience. And he's like, go back to the truth. And I told Jonathan this actually two nights ago, I said, these experiences we've had over the last few months have made me not just a better writer, but explain in great detail that feeling that I feel of just leaning so far in that, um, and, and it's not to take it into a dark place, but it's like a, a feeling like just, I'm, I'm, I don't even have another word for it other than that, that I'm owned. Like he owns me. Like it's not in a, it's, it's not in a, a, a weird way, but it's almost like, like I'm not going anywhere. Like there's not, there's no plan B, there's no option, anything. It's like, I, there's no one who knows me more and vice versa. Like there's no one who knows us more, um, where we have this level of such profound trust and love that's like, I just want everybody to have that. But it comes from an, a level of honesty of just sharing just your biggest fears and also feeling like you can lean into them and, and that other person has you and has you with their safety net. Well, everyone has a different definition of for better, for worse. Yeah. And uh, you certainly have tapped into that over the last several years and 
both of you seem like you're better versions of yourself and following your inner compasses uh, and your inner voices in a way that maybe you couldn't possibly have before all of this. And that is fascinating. Oh, amazing. Thank you. Definitely, definitely number one on my list of favorites. I mean, it's just mind blowing. And uh, I, that's, this is why I, I have tried to branch out since the death of George Floyd uh, <clears throat> to connect some dots because I don't consider myself an influencer. I consider myself a connector mm-hmm. at, at the, at the very least. And, and, and so it's been interesting to, to push my boundaries a little bit to, um, see if maybe there's one person that's impacted by people's stories, whether it's David Meltzer, whether it's you, whether it's Kelly Gunther, whether it's Barbara Majeski. I mean, if you'd have told me number one about clubhouse and you told me that I would have four people from breakfast with champions on my very unknown podcast, uh, I would have told you you're crazy. And so I want, I want my daughter to be a better version of herself, just like you want your kids to be. And you guys are both your, as parents, testimonials to, um, going into a deeper part of who you are that um, you could have continued to run away from or faced head on. And that's just uh, an amazing testament to the both of you. So what, what do you do with this now, Michael? Like, you know, long-term or are you talking like literally? No, I'm talking long-term. Like what, what are you doing in your life and then make that decision to launch this podcast and what? Well, I initially was just talking sports because I know sports so well. And then I just realized that uh, something spoke to me being from Detroit. And I was like, I can't be complicit anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, this is just ridiculous. Uh, and so I don't want to force it down people's throat like you talked about earlier. But uh, I also have to do something different as a white ally. And mm-hmm. so African-Americans and people of color and the Latino and Latina community and the LGBTQ community, a lot of these different spaces have been preaching and talking and begging and yelling and screaming at mountaintops for years. And other people are so arrogant to tell them a about themselves and not doing something about it, whether it's just simply pushing the conversation forward, not in the face of another murder, but just continuing to talk about it. And um, to be a part of policy changes and mobilization so that things do change in the, in the narratives uh, shift and we bridge gaps because there's still too many disconnects and gaps between women, women of color and people of color. Uh, And forget about reparations on all the other discussions we could talk about. But um, so, and then to answer your second part of your question, long-term, I don't know where it's going. I'm letting it grow organically, but I want the freedom to be able to go privately coach kids uh, as a professional basketball skills trainer. I want to be able to do my podcast to even if it reaches 10 people that day. And so I don't know where it's going to go long-term, but I'm learning as I go. I'm trying to listen and I'm trying to pay it forward. Uh, As I heard David um, on uh, breakfast champions today say he's 62. And so he said for the first time, he's actually thinking about if he dies that people will say, well, he's had a good life. And so, you know, when you're younger, you don't think that way. It's like, right. Oh, it's such a tragedy that they died so young. And so you and I and David and Barbara, you know, and others in, in the 50, 60 range and older, you know, we think about, you know, have we had a good life and have we either done our bucket list stuff or, um, you know, are we making the most of every day? Yeah. So you know it is way better than most, 
how to make the most of every day and not waste any time and still find that balance you know, that you need in your life every day, whether it's meditating or yoga, uh, you know, recharging your batteries, you know, decompressing. I'm in menopause now. It sucks. <laughs> God bullshit. dang it. It is bullshit. That's fucking bullshit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you so think you've got know. it figured out and then you get yeah. sideswiped, but yeah. Damn. Oh my God. Sorry. That's yeah. Women do not have it as easy as guys. That's for damn sure. In any stretch of the imagination. So I don't know where it's going to go. I mean, I, I don't know if I'll get picked up at some point. I don't know if this is what I'm going to do. And, and I just, uh, I've wanted to always impact and not care about income. So that's what I'm doing. I mean, you are, you are actually are a great interviewer. You have really good skills and good instinct on it. So from someone who's worked in TV, most of her career, it's, it's nice to see. And and you're getting me to talk about stories. I don't really talk about. So, um, so it's good. You have a, you have a, a natural ability. Well, I was a communication major. I thought I was going to be a basketball referee in the NBA. So, so that ship sailed. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've just tried to pay it forward through sports. And so now I've listened to more stories about people on here, mostly professional athletes who have talked about depression, who've mm-hmm. talked about killing themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, you've talked about dying, literally. Uh, and so, you know, the more people die while they're living, you know, it, it helps them to be more in touch with, uh, you know, life as they move forward. Yeah. Man. Amazing. Well, I really, I mean, I just, I can't thank you enough. You, you could be going on, uh, you know, Conan or somebody (laughs) in the evening and you're spending, you know, 90 minutes with us. I I truly can't thank you enough. I appreciate it. Yeah. So I'll I'll stay. Like you say, it doesn't really matter. I mean, I, I spent, time on Dr. Oz. And that was not impactful whatsoever. That was just a waste of time. Um, but I'd rather be here and have a laugh and have a moment and you never know who's listening. And just like with breakfast with champions, you know, you talk about the story, you're there and then you're like, okay, you're, you're off and you have no idea. You have no idea who has just heard that message. Yeah. And then I, right after I heard David, I posted a TikTok video about it's never too late. Uh, and you know, basically what do you want your legacy to be? And so you, it's never too late. Your past does not define you. Now I need to learn how to work TikTok because I've had a couple of things with TikTok, but I'm like, I need to get involved with book talk. And it's just been impossible to figure out like the algorithm because mo- most of these book talk things on TikTok, they're fiction. And so I'm like, I know I, I just don't know how to to create enough content for it. So you'd have plenty of content. And so my videos are between three. I had a video yesterday at one of my basketball training sessions and then yeah. I had over 400 people within an hour. I'm like, what is going on here? And I post dog stuff, yeah, lemon, lemon juice stuff, um, daughter, not as much daughter stuff, but sports stuff, life coaching stuff. Yeah. Like, and, and they've told me to get separate accounts with everything. And so I go on this master class, and I'll let you go. I, I, I go on this master class called uh, Eight Dragons on Clubhouse. And it, this lady, Hiromi, I mean, she, the other guy that comes on here, Teddy, he's got 20 million followers. They give free advice every day, just like, you know, in any of the other rooms on Clubhouse. And I go in there for at least an hour every other day to listen to these tips. And I've tried all of them because, you know, the algorithm is unpredictable. Right. So I try stickers, no stickers. I try hashtags, no hashtags. I try closed captioning, no closed captioning and sort of see what is thrown against the wall and and hits. And uh, I mean, it's, first of all, it's exciting. It's fun. The kids like it. My daughter's yeah. obsessed. 
Yeah. And so I just, and I'm get, I've gone over 1100 followers and with with Facebook, I don't care about Facebook with um, Twitter and, and, and Instagram, I've been trying to just let it grow organically. And I just got over 600, which is nothing, but for me, it's a lot. And within three weeks, I was over 1100 on TikTok. I know I did in, in the first 20 days, I had 4,000 on TikTok. I'm like, what's going on? And then I just, it's just too much to maintain because TikTok, you have to constantly Constantly. like every day, right? Several times a day. I have somebody just doing all the design for the social media now that I've just create launched the new brand. Um, But, and I just correct the writing and everything, but she does all the design. So I don't have to think about it, but for videos, I'm like, I know that I need to add more videos, but I don't have, I don't have the bandwidth to do it. Stephanie, all you have to do is say, trust your instincts. Something for two seconds will get a million views because it's you. It's so stupid. It makes no sense whatsoever. And then, you know, you put part one and then the next one's part two, trust your instinct da, 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 and you build off of it. Like, it's just amazing. And because people want. Yeah. Short, but then you have to put the right music and the right hashtag or the right stickers or right sound effect. Right. You yes. It has yeah. to fit. It has to fit. Well, you know that better than anyone. That part should be easy for you. Yeah. But it's not because I don't know what's trending. I'm not paying attention to it. So you have to actually have somebody who knows it. It could say, use the sound effect, make a video about this use this hashtag and done. Like I just need it stupid proof. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I can't wait to watch your TikTok videos now. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to start listening to the audiobook today. I walk, I, I walk between five and 10 miles a day. So oh, I'm going to start. Yeah. I'm going to start listening and uh, just haven't had the time between daughter's gymnastics and, and my private coaching and just everything. But uh, thank you so much, much thank love you. and respect to you and everything that you're doing. And, and so glad you're still here with us. And uh, yeah. Oh, what, 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 a what a 90 minutes. I mean, I am, you poured into me and, and hopefully you got some value in this safe space. And I truly appreciate you, you being with us today. Amazing. You, you got more than I thought you were going to get with Barry Manilow, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. We'll stay in touch. And um, uh, anytime you want to come back and co-host with me, if I, if I get anyone else on, I, I would love to have your perspective and, and share. On some- Tuesday, on Tuesday nights, I don't know what you're doing. 8 PM central. I host the six cents. Yes, so. that's right. I mentioned that in so, the intro, but yes. Yeah, no, no, that's that fine. Out. But, it, but if you, um, if you're available, just, Jump in the room. 8 p.m. Tuesdays central uh, Central time. Yeah. So that's six. It's, the, it's the only room I do. And then periodically I'll jump into other people's clubhouse mm-hmm. rooms, but it's the only one that I host. Yeah. Awesome. Well, have a phenomenal day. And um, man, I'm so inspired today. I just I can't wait to, to, to take on the day and, uh, you know, pay it forward. It's awesome. Thanks. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All okay. right. We'll talk soon. All right. Bye. bye. Wow, that was something. If you stayed with us uh, for the entire time, uh, I hope that you got a lot of value out of that. Um, Definitely a different uh, level of conversation with her um, and pushed my uh, comfort zone to to some places that I hadn't gone before. And so always would appreciate your feedback. Uh, If you want to leave a review. If you want to send me an email to thesportsdeli at gmail.com and uh, let me know what you think uh, about uh, the interview, about Stephanie, uh, about uh, myself, anything that you could uh, suggest to make things uh, more efficient or better. 
just again, any suggestions uh, or disagreements uh, would be would be welcomed. Um, and so uh, on that note, for Dr. J and Coach K, I'm Hootie Hoot. Women belong in all places where decisions are being made, especially Stephanie Arnold. So if you haven't checked out her book, 37 Seconds, it's available on Amazon, uh, also on Audible. Uh, you can check out uh, the series on um, Netflix as well. And you heard her talk about her movie that will be coming out at some point. And just, a, just an amazing time talking with her and uh, learned so much today. And hopefully uh, you learned a lot and uh, made you think a little bit about uh, the direction that you're going and uh, where you want to go and, and uh, you know, about communication, about relationships, trusting your instincts uh, and um, being present. You know, there's something to be said for that, even though it's really hard that we're always on the go, you know, the pandemic and, you know, something like this podcast maybe makes us give pause to, uh, you know, going so fast with life that you don't see the trees when you're in the middle of the forest. Until next time, Black Lives Matter. Stop the Asian hate. Please talk to your local politicians about any injustices that you feel are going on, especially people that are in jail for nonviolent offenses, and especially for things that they did not commit. Anything we can do to change policy in the spaces of inequality and social injustice is part of our mission right here in the Sports Deli podcast where everyone deserves a seat at the table. This has been a production of Hootie Hoot Productions. Remember, it takes a village. And until next time, much love. Peace.